Connect and more at sacredheartradio.com. It is Thursday, the 29th of June, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Let's pray through the intercession of St. Paul specifically, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Glorious St. Paul, most zealous apostle, martyr for the love of Christ, give us a deep faith, a steadfast hope, a burning love for our Lord, so that we can proclaim with you, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Help us to become apostles, serving the church with a pure heart, witnesses to her truth and beauty amidst the darkness of our days. With you we praise God our Father. To him be the glory, in the church and in Christ, now and forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saints Peter and Paul, pray for us. It is Pallium Blessing Day in Rome, and uh, actually Pallium Conferring Day in Rome. Don't want to get my days mixed up, Pallium-wise. But uh, it is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on Sacred Heart Catholic Radio's program, which is offered through EWTN to your local affiliate, to satellite radio, to all the streaming apps and such. We're glad that you're joining us for the beginning of the morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman is at the controls. Chris McGregor is going to uh, continue to dive into the Office of Readings, as she does with us every week. Deacon Stephen Gray Donis has thoughts on the new Indiana Jones movie and really the Indiana Jones phenomenon in general. Uh, it is one of the most religiously, I guess you could say, charged franchises in action movie history, and we're going to dig into some of that. Liz Lev will talk about Saints Peter and Paul as depicted in art. She'll join us from Rome. And then pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast will discuss the deadly sin of sloth and how that can affect our emotional health. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has celebrated Mass today for the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, the twin founders of Christian Rome. In his homily, the Holy Father said that their teachings answer the question, who is Jesus for me? In Vatican News reports, he said, the church is called to grow in the same way by following the Lord constantly and humbly seeking him out and by preaching the gospel before the world and opening people's hearts to the presence of God. He said that the faithful need to bring Jesus everywhere, especially in those places where poverty, decay, and marginalization are deeply rooted. Yesterday, Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience, focusing on the example of St. Mary MacKillop. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Said Mary MacKillop read the signs of her times and felt drawn to found several schools to spread the gospel through Catholic education. One essential characteristic of her zeal for the gospel, he said, was her desire to care for the poor and marginalized. This, he added, pushed her to go where others refused or were unable to go. 
The Pope highlighted her belief that education should promote the integral development of the person both as an individual and as a member of the community, which requires wisdom, patience, and charity on the part of every teacher. L'educazione, in effetti, non consiste nel riempire la testa di idee. Education consists not in filling heads with ideas, he said, but is about accompanying and encouraging students along their path of human and spiritual growth. Pope Francis praised this insight as relevant to our own times, as shown in his own calls for a global compact on education to unite families, schools, and societies. The apostolic zeal of Mary MacKillop also led her to open various houses of charity, starting with one in Adelaide to welcome both young and elderly people who had been abandoned. St. Mary nurtured a special trust in God's providence amid the myriad financial and organizational problems she had to confront each day. In conclusion, Pope Francis noted that St. Mary MacKillop learned to love the cross of Christ. May her efforts to form young people inspire us today, he prayed, and may her intercession sustain the daily work of parents, teachers, catechists, and all educators. I'm Devin Watkins. Thousands of passengers are being stranded at U.S. airports ahead of the 4th of July holiday weekend. Bad weather and staffing shortages are being blamed for hundreds of cancelizations and thousands of delays across the parts across parts of the U.S. Flights came to a halt yesterday in both Boston and New York City, where storms kept planes on the tarmac. As of this morning, Newark Liberty International Airport serving New York City had the most cancellations and the airline with the most canceled flights was United. More than 110 million Americans, meanwhile, are living under heat advisories today and millions more are facing poor air quality. 100-degree highs are forecast today from the southwest into the deep south. The National Weather Service says Life-threatening heat will broil a big stretch of the nation from southeast New Mexico through the southern plains, the lower Mississippi, Ohio, and Tennessee valleys, and the central Gulf Coast. Most people in the U.S. believe the pandemic to be over, but fewer than half say their lives are back to business as usual. Mark Mayfield has more. A new Gallup poll shows that 64% of respondents say the COVID pandemic is over. In February of this year, only 49% said the same. Just over 40% said that they don't think their lives will ever go back to what was normal pre-pandemic. Along party lines, 84% of Republicans said the pandemic is over, compared to 65% of independents and just over half of Democrats. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Federal Reserve says 23 of the biggest U.S. banks were able to survive a severe recession scenario in a recent stress test. A Federal Reserve regulator said all the banks in the test were able to continue lending to consumers and businesses. Despite a nearly $550 billion projected loss for the group, the banks were also able to maintain minimum capital levels. And National Geographic has laid off the last of its staff writers. The cuts come as parent company Walt Disney has let go thousands of staffers across its divisions this year. A company spokesperson said in a statement yesterday that National Geographic will continue to publish a monthly magazine. National Geographic had more than 1.7 million subscribers at the end of 2022. Departing staff writers are posting on social media that they are now looking for work. 
So I, mean, I guess I they're gonna, just going to do contract writers from now on. I mean, stringers? if I was going to cut the Disney budget, I would not cut at National Geographic. No, that is not where I would cut either. That is not where I would cut. That's a bummer. I'm not sure that they're well. This actually, is, you know what's the bigger bummer to me is that I remember that Disney owns National Geographic. <laughs> well, I mean, they have been doing a lot of television side, yeah, stuff documentaries and whatnot you can steven gray donis like the um what was the one oh on the um he did a, a whole review on national geographic's coverage of the uh those boys that got lost in the cave oh yeah of course that terrifying terrifying in harrowing Thailand. story yeah um so i mean there's I mean, some good stuff there is like there's yeah also there's some like, weird reality tv on there is there i don't yeah. know I don't watch the National Geographic channel very often, I have to admit. It's, it's really not, just I don't like watch, on-demand stuff. I don't watch I anything see. but baseball, Anna Mitchell. You know. know this. Yeah, I know. By the way, I got it wrong, and I want to apologize. I got it all mixed up, and you I'm surprised you didn't just bust in and correct me. Uh, they do bless the palliums today and distribute them sometimes for the people in person, but there's usually actually a separate ceremony, uh, according to Pope Francis, how mm-hmm. – how it all works in the local dioceses. On St. Agnes is when they bless the lambs that they get the wool from. Correct. For the palliums that are conferred on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Indeed. So I messed up my whole pallium explanation. Because, of course, Agnes means lamb. lamb. Buono nomastico, Paul Lockman. Yeah. Happy Feast Day to all the Pauls out there, to all the the Peters out there. The Pablos and the Pedros. All of the above. The Pierres. The Paolos. Happy Feast Day. It is the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, June the 29th, and we're happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's nine past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing, Anna? I am doing great, and I am so excited for our conversation today. I'm so glad uh, that you chose the selection you did from the Office of Readings this week. It's for the Feast of the First Martyrs of Rome. This week it is celebrated on on Friday, and um, the reason part of the reason why I'm so glad is because uh, we're actually going to be off on Friday um, here on the Sunrise Morning Show for a long Fourth of July weekend, and so we won't be talking about them on their feast day. So we're going to talk about them today. Tell us who are the first martyrs of Rome? They're the ones who were persecuted for their faith. They are when we say martyrs, of course, you know. And that means in Greek, witness. And oftentimes what they had to give witness to was in a court of law, actually, a court uh, that were judging, um, uh, judging them based on their faith about who they were going to worship, who they were going to venerate. Because don't forget back in those days, there wasn't a separation of church and state. So that if you were not worshiping the uh, gods of the pagans, in this case, the Romans, um, you were essentially, you were denying the, uh, the state. And so for them to bear witness to their faith and to go uh, and really actually willingly to uh, torturous deaths, 
that uh, to bear witness to shore up their brothers and sisters. It was really, it's the, as you know, the blood of the, the martyrs is the seed of the church, yes, absolutely. seed of the faith. So yeah, what a, what a day that is. What a day that is. And so for the Office of Readings, we have a letter from Pope St. Clement I to the Corinthians. And he, of course, not one of the first martyrs of Rome, but uh, a martyr and uh, one that, that suffered a gruesome death. Darn close to one of the first, let yeah, me tell yeah, you. Yeah. The, the fourth pope. And uh, I know you've, you've Linus, been there, Clement, haven't Cletus, you? Linus, Sixtus, Cornelius, yeah. <laughs> yes. You're so good. Well, he's but, in the canon, that's what I was He is. He's at, yeah. number four. Yes. And uh, he has that beautiful church dedicated to him in Rome that's not too oh, far from yes. the Colosseum. Yeah. Right? Just down the street. There, his relics were brought back because he had been. Here he is writing about the witness of, uh, of course, of those who were tortured and killed. He, too, would suffer that. I mean, a terrible death. I mean, being tied to an anchor and then thrown into the sea. How about mm. that? I mean, and he writes so beautifully in this letter to the Corinthians. Here, the, What is it about those Corinthians? I know. What is it about the Corinthians? <laughs> They always yes. need to get whipped into line. Yeah, I mean, could it? Could they not say uh, Pope Saint, Saint Clement the First to the Americans, to uh, those in the United States, those in the Cincinnati, and those in Omaha? Oh my gosh! You know, and yeah. all all around the country. And he talks about how uh, the contest and how ironic, huh? I mean, the first line is, "Let us come to those who enter the contest in modern times. Uh, let us." Take the noble examples of our own generation. Of course, he's speaking 2,000 years ago, practically. And yet what he is saying today is the same thing that uh, needs to be borne witness to to all of us, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's so true that the, I mean, ever ancient, ever new, right, Chris? It is, you know, and we need this kind of witness, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more deeply in just a few moments. But I just got a... Uh, uh, email this morning from the Pew organization. And maybe you've seen this, but once again, here's a study and church attendance is dropping dramatically mm -hmm. again and in favor of people staying home and maybe watching television, watching it on Facebook. I mean, being further and further ripped, uh, you know, and removed from engagement and community. Yeah. And why is that? You know, and it, it talks about, as he does, that through jealousy and envy, the greatest and most righteous pillars of the church were attacked and they kept up the struggle until death. And I think that's, you know, that those two words, jealousy and envy, I think I, that's an important one for us to look at, don't you think? Yeah. He says, jealousy has estranged wives from husbands and made of no effect the saying of our father Adam. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Jealousy and strife have overthrown great cities and uprooted mighty nations. And may I add, ruined so many lives. And yet we have the witness of the martyrs to look to, to help us remain firm in our faith. Because yeah, it's an odd thing. When you think about uh, jealousy and envy, why would that be something that would get them killed? You would think maybe anger or a breaking of a law, like I said earlier. But the thing about jealousy and envy, there are two sins, right, 
that um, of the all of those sins that we have, they they don't make us happy. You know, we can indulge in all kinds of the all the other sins, gluttony, uh, all the different vices, but envy in particular, but also jealousy. They don't make us happy. So why do we do it? It's because you look upon another and you want what they want and you can't get it. Mm-hmm. You, uh, in some cases, I mean, envy is something that when you see uh, Cain. So what is it that they're seeing in the Christian that is making them so nuts that they're going to subject them to the most gruesome nuts is a deaths? Good word for Nero. <laughs> yeah, buried nuts. As uh, Clement says here, though, let us fix our gaze on the blood of Christ and let us know that it is precious to his father because it was poured out for our salvation and it brought the grace of repentance to all the world. Go check out this full selection from Pope St. Clement the Friday in the Office of Readings. We've been talking about it, reflecting on it with Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Chris, thank you so much. You're welcome, Anna. God bless you. You too, Chris. Thank you very much. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. And services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis celebrated Mass for today's solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul and blessed the Pallia for Metropolitan Archbishops appointed in the past year. The Pope's special peace envoy in the war in Ukraine will be meeting with the Orthodox Patriarch of Russia today. And more than 110 million Americans are living under heat advisories today with millions more facing poor air quality. Anna Mitchell, I need a uh, I need some menu ideas. 
menu ideas. East of Saints, Peter and Paul. I know that's probably not what we're going to go with uh, when we talk to Rita Heikenfeld here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking some uh, some ideas for your Saints, Peter and Paul menu. So, so like, um, I would say a mix of Mediterranean, like Italian. You're you're too far inside the box. I mean, maybe grilled fish, right? Because Jesus grilled fish for Peter. I was thinking more like a gummy snake, some key lime pie for St. Peter and the Keys. Keep going. Go ahead. That's all I got. That's why I was um, asking you. I wasn't thinking that creatively, so... I mean, Paul is a tent maker, so when you uh, if you do grill something, you got to make sure the tent the meat. Rita Heikenfeld will tell you that. <laughs> a little foil and a tent over top of it. Speaking of which, you know, we're going to be off for a few days here and you're going to be hearing some summer specials on the Sunrise Morning Show tomorrow and Monday. Rita is doing a whole grilling like spectacular about grilling in the Bible. It's awesome. And um, of course, on July 4th, we have a special Independence Day edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. We got some great programs that you're going to want to wake up and listen to. Better recipes than I just shared, too. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. O come, creator spirit, come, and make within our souls thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter, whom we acclaim. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart. Pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore in perfect faith forevermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Steffen. Well, the Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Deacon Stephen Gray Donis of DecentFilms.com to look at Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, even though I saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I'm still excited about this movie, Deacon. All right. Well, I'll try to uh, <laughs> uh, I'll try not to completely shatter your hopes. Well, thank you for that. So you know the even odd Star Trek uh, movie rule about how the even numbered movies are better than the odd numbered ones. Indeed. Um, I think that in the 
odd-numbered Indiana Joneses, uh, Nazis are the bad guys. Is that right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to make any predictions about the quality based on the odd-even rule. Um, but uh, so, so this movie, Dial of Destiny, is mostly set in 1969, circa the Apollo 11 moon landing. But it does start with an extended prologue. Uh, in World War II, featuring a digitally de-aged Harrison Ford fighting Nazis over the end of the war over exotic artifacts with possibly paranormal powers. And the villain in this movie, played by Mad Mickelson, is an aging Nazi who wants an artifact in 1969 that will enable the Nazis to win the war back in the 1940s. Wow. Okay. So we got some uh, some dicey to deal with here you know it is interesting um i was at a book fair well anytime i go to a book fair with kids it's it's a little bit you know annoying because it's all diary of a wimpy kid and dog man on one shelf and all the rest of them are young adult fiction related to nazis (laughs) like it's crazy uh like this is an obsession with this period of history and it seems to be a really formative time in the life of indiana jones right this era so how do they approach kind of going back to what everybody kind of thinks of Indiana Jones as, like this Nazi-fighting archaeologist, and bring that up to 1969. So the prologue, which is, I don't know, something like 20 minutes long um, with a digitally gauged Harrison Ford, is is pretty incredible-looking, honestly. It's, it's weird, though, to see a young-looking Indiana Jones speaking with what is unmistakably an old man's voice. So there's always an artifact in these movies. Um, There's a hat tip to Last Crusade's Holy Grail, uh, some misdirection about that other Arthurian New Testament relic, the Spear of Destiny, that is the Spear of Longinus, supposedly the Spear of the Roman soldier who stabbed Jesus' side on Good Friday. But that's just misdirection. We know there's a dial, and this turns out to be an ancient Greek artifact called the Dial of Archimedes, also called the Antikythera, which is, I learned today, actually the name of a real and incredibly sophisticated um, ancient Greek device, uh, a type of analog computer um, that could predict the positions of heavenly bodies decades in advance. You're a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Actually, no. So in like... Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so there's there's an Antikythera-like device in that, so I was going to reference that, and, and I okay. guess some... Many of our listeners will know about that. Uh, Of course, that's amazing that it could predict the positions of heavenly bodies, solar eclipses, and so forth, but purely historical values. So in this movie, the ancient Greek dial that India and the Nazis are trying to find doesn't just predict eclipses. It predicts ruptures in time. So it's not a time machine, but it's like a time machine. It will let you travel to other times. And that's how Mads Mikkelsen wants to use the dial to win World War II. Sounds more like sliders or something <laughs> like that. So you got to be in the right place at the right time. You don't know exactly how you're going to jump in sliders. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you're jumping to alternate realities in that case. But uh, when it comes to all this, I mean, this seems pretty ambitious, uh, as a premise, but it seems more ambitious to try and pull this off with Harrison Ford and get audiences on board in 2023. So how's it work? And there's an effort to bring in youthful energy with um, an English actress named Phoebe Waller-Bridge as uh, Indy's goddaughter, Helena. She's meant to be a charming grifter who's only in it for the money. Uh, Harrison Ford at this point has got his grumpy old man stick down and he, he, functions as what you would imagine a an 80-year-old um, 
Indiana Jones about as about as well as could be expected. Um, the, it also bears mentioning in that regard that the movie is directed by James Mangold and. I don't want to be mean to Mangold, but it goes without saying that only Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg. So there is some decent action in the movie. Uh, there's a nice sequence with bad guys chasing Indiana Jones on a horse um, in New York. There are other other sequences that are perhaps worth watching. Um, but Spielberg has an eye. And Kingdom of the Crystal Skull may be a lousy movie, but there are images in that movie. And um, there's no really striking images in this movie. Um, from the perspective of the religious themes that we've been talking about, uh, I should perhaps mention that, you know, the first three movies are all about religion of one kind or another. There's a kind of a quasi-New Age vibe in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But this is really the first movie where, other than that misdirection about the Spear of Longinus, there really is no religion. It's, it's just about science slash science fiction. Ah, that's a bummer. I was hoping at the end Indy would say what Han Solo said, which is the crazy thing is it's true. God, Jesus, the Bible, all of it. It's all true. I guess we don't get that. Oh, well. We do not get that. In fact, we get a terrible line about how it doesn't matter what you believe, only how hard you believe it. Well, that's a bummer because I'm pretty sure... That it does matter what you believe if you're a Nazi. That would be something that would be bad to believe. And it'd be worse if you believed it hard. Well, Deacon Stephen Gray Donis. We've got DeaconStevenFilms.com linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. We actually had an extended conversation with Deacon Stephen about the theology of Indiana Jones as it plays through Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, The Last Crusade especially. There's a lot of stuff going on. How is it that Indiana Jones who has seen the power of God in the Ark of the Covenant destroy the Nazis, and who has seen the Holy Grail heal his father, still ends up kind of somehow skeptic? Yeah, that's a big question. Well, at any rate, go to sunrisemorningshow.com if you want to check out more thoughts on uh, Indiana Jones and why he just needs to have a conversion of some kind, some point. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis celebrated Mass today for the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, the twin founders of Christian Rome. As is customary, the Holy Father blessed the pallia, vestments that will be given to metropolitan archbishops who have been appointed in the past year, which is a symbol of his office and unity with the Pope. In his homily, Pope Francis said Peter and Paul invite the church to grow and to follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel. The Pope's special peace envoy in Ukraine is set to meet with the Orthodox Patriarch of Russia today. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi is wrapping up his mission in Russia. Vatican News reports he met yesterday with the Catholic bishops of the country, as well as with several advisors to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The Archbishop of the Archdiocese of the Mother of God in Moscow told Vatican News that it may be possible to see some concrete gestures such as a new exchange of prisoners or the announcement of initiatives to support the many refugees and fugitives that this conflict is causing. He also said, quote, there is a need for the involvement of religious leaders in this dialogue. He said, according to my information, Cardinal Zuppi is expected to meet with the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill. If so, it will be a truly important occasion, end quote. Debris has been found of the imploded Titan submersible that contains, quote, presumed human remains. 
Brian Shook reports. The U.S. Coast Guard made the announcement Wednesday after a ship carrying pieces of wreckage recovered from the bottom of the ocean returned to port. A crane offloaded the debris that looked to include the nose of the Titan. Investigators from the U.S. and Canada will use the pieces to try to determine what caused the submersible to implode. The evidence will be transported to a U.S. port for further analysis. All five people on board the Titan are believed to have been killed by the implosion. I'm Brian Shook. Smoke from Canadian wildfires is blanketing the Midwest once again. The smoke is expected to move east soon, hitting parts of western and central New York. Governor Kathy Hochul is warning New Yorkers that it will be unsafe to be outdoors as the week goes on. In addition to New York, millions today in Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and elsewhere are dealing with unhealthy air quality. The Vatican Dicasteries for Culture and Education and for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life have issued a joint letter on Catholic education. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. It is essential that clergy, religious men and women and lay people all sing as a choir, reads the joint letter which was released by the two Vatican dicasteries after the meeting they convened in May to discuss the many serious difficulties currently faced by the Catholic schools worldwide. Among them, the long-term effects of the pandemic, the ongoing global economic crisis, decreasing birth rates, the drop in vocations and growing secularization, affecting specifically the Western world. All these grave circumstances have given rise to complex practical consequences, leading in some cases to the closure or sale of Catholic schools. In the face of these difficulties, the temptation might be to lose hope. However, the letter stresses, what first seems to block our courage could turn out to be a kind of starting block for making a new leap forward. For example, it might spur Catholic schools to make greater efforts to sing in unison, as Pope Francis recently asked the pontifical academic institutions in Rome. The letter renews this call, encouraging initiatives and even experiments that are imaginative and creative, open to sharing with one another. As officers charged with assisting the Holy Father, the letter concludes, we shall make use of both old and new ways to address realities in a timely way and to help the body of the Church develop forward-looking solutions, even in the most difficult circumstances. I am Lisa Zingarini. Unionized UPS drivers are warning of an imminent strike that could start as soon as next week. UPS Teamsters are demanding the delivery company produce its last, best, and final offer to the union by Friday. More than 340,000 employees could walk off the job in the potential strike. That's the news. It's 35 past. The Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. True humility does not make a show of itself, and hardly ever speaks in a humble way, not only because it wants to hide the other virtues, but most of all because it wants to conceal itself. Therefore, if it were lawful to lie, dissemble, or scandalize one's neighbor, humility would perform acts of arrogance and pride, so that it might conceal itself beneath them and live completely hidden and unknown. Here, then, is my advice. Do not utter words expressing humility unless you can say them from the bottom of your heart. Let us not make a show of wanting to be the last if we do not want to be that in reality. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Liz Lev, the art historian and guide to Rome, author of How Catholic Art Saved the Faith, and you can find her lectures, many of them free, over at mastersgalleryrome.com. Liz, welcome back to the show. Hello, and happy Feast of St. Peter and Paul. Yes, happy Feast of St. Peter and Paul. I think a lot more important in Rome than it is in the United States these days. Would you agree? It is absolutely. It's a day off for the Romans. The entire city is, it's like a Sunday here. You look out on the streets, and uh, the Pope is celebrating Mass, and it's really, it's a beautiful feast day. It's the day we dress up this bronze statue of St. Peter in the Basilica, in these magnificent robes and tiara. We fill the Basilica with red roses to remember the day that St. Peter and St. Paul died. Well, okay, so we've got these two guys from the Holy Land. How did they end up in Rome? Well, they have different roots, of course. Uh, We know about Paul's journey to Rome much more clearly from his letters and how he made his way to Italy, he made his way to Rome. Uh, Peter's story is a little bit more confusing, a little bit more nebulous. But most importantly in Rome, we remember his departure from Jerusalem. So we know uh, this morning, the first reading this morning, is how Peter in the Acts of the Apostles is imprisoned by Herod. He's due to be killed, and an angel comes and frees him, gets him past all the prison guards, gets him past to the gate, and he's out on his own. And we understand that Peter first went to Antioch, but then ended up in Rome, where he remained for 25 years. And we have these sites. We have the, the house of St. Saint, um, Saint Pudens, which is where we believe he lived. And then ultimately, both men were killed in the repercussions of the great fire of Rome by Nero. You mentioned that he was in prison and freed. Don't uh, don't we still venerate the chains of St. Peter? 
Exactly. That is one of the most important, that is one of the most important churches for this itinerary of Peter in Rome. Because one of the things that we remember in Rome, we think about in Rome, is how did Peter get from Jerusalem here to Rome? Why is the church here in Rome instead of Jerusalem? And so Peter, yes, he was imprisoned in Jerusalem and an angel came to save him. But Peter was imprisoned again here in Rome by Nero. But this time it was not an angel who saved him, it was his prison guards. But as Peter was freed from his chains and left the city, he encountered Christ on the Via Appia, who, when Jesus, who had ascended to heaven 40 years earlier, Peter was a little surprised. He said, Domine Quovatis, <laughs> Master, where are you going? And Jesus basically said, well, I'm on my way back to Rome to be crucified a second time. Wow. So Peter went back and he accepted his death here in Rome. So what does that story mean to us? These chains, what do they mean to us? They were broken in Jerusalem by divine power to get him out of Jerusalem. But then Jesus himself appeared to ensure that his death would be in Rome. And so we have the rock, which is Peter, which is planted here in Rome. And that really is for us, the, it's, it's our, our contact, our close physical contact with the history of the papacy. And of course, we know that St. Paul was bound and determined to get to Rome and and eventually does get there and and suffers his martyrdom there. Can you talk about Peter and Paul as as sort of the new Romulus and Remus? I think it's, again, another really beautiful thing we have in the city, and it's such an opportunity for us in Rome to really understand the history of our, of our, of our great apostolic saints here. But Paul, who you're right, even though it's open season on Christians, Paul is making his way back to Rome. And our, our, we have a very, very ancient tradition. It goes back, St. Jerome tells us about it in the 4th century, is something he's been doing since he was a boy, that Peter and Paul were imprisoned together in the Mamertine prison, which is right off the corner of the Forum, and that on June 29th, on this day, Peter was marched one way towards the Vatican, where he was crucified upside down. Paul was marched out along the Via Laurentina, where he was beheaded at the fountain of the three abbeys, the three abbeys and that the two of them dying on the same day, would be born in heaven on the same day. And that would make Peter and Paul twins. Like Romulus and Remus, the twins who founded the city of Rome, now we have Peter and Paul, the twins who are going to re-found Rome as a Christian city. And so we love this parallel. And as a matter of fact, one of the earliest things people would bring back from Rome as pilgrims, if you were a well-heeled pilgrim, of course, because it was kind of expensive, would be a little circle of transparent glass with a gold leaf cutout of Peter and Paul sharing the same martyr's crown, this visual allusion to our twins. I love that. They were born into heaven on the same day, making them twins. That's just beautiful. Are, do you see Peter and Paul a lot around Rome these days? Well, Peter and Paul are everywhere. It's yeah. just, it, and what's so beautiful about them is that they're always together. So you go to the bronze doors of St. Peter, and you see Peter dying, being crucified, and Paul dying at the same time. You have paintings of the death of Peter out by the site where St. Paul died. We have these images of Peter and Paul embracing in the doors of St. Paul's outside the walls, this fraternity, this beautiful sense of brotherhood. We Everywhere we look, we have our Peter and Paul standing above the city on top of the ancient Roman columns, looking down and protecting us as the custodians of Rome. Can you tell us about where they're buried? 
Well, they're buried in uh, two pretty nice churches, uh, the site of <laughs> Peter's burial, which started out as probably the most unpromising thing in the world. Uh, Peter, after being killed in the Circus of Nero, was basically just carried across the street, and they dug a hole in the ground, dropped him in it, covered it with some dirt, and hoped for the best. But from that, from that moment, when the Romans had somewhat mistakenly thinking that in killing Peter, they had simply taken out the trash, what they had inadvertently done was to plant a seed. And when we see that Church of St. Peter's, that incredibly impressive dome that sailed up into the sky, taller than anything else in the city of Rome, we are looking at a progression of monuments built one on top of the other, on top of the body of that fisherman, and that allude to the successors of Peter from uh, Linus's first successor all the way down to Pope Francis, who is celebrating this day just down the street from where I am right now. Whereas Paul's body was taken out to a burial site uh, along the Via Ostia, the road out to the sea, which seems kind of it seems kind of appropriate since Paul seems to always have been traveling. And he was placed in a basilica that was eventually started out as a small basilica. Constantine just built a small one, but the emperors built a much bigger one. And for many years, it was the largest church in the world. The basilica we see today, which is magnificent and majestic and stately and, and wonderful, however, is a new basilica because the old basilica burnt down in 1823, but the entire world, Christians, Muslims, Catholics, all bonded together. Everybody contributed so that we could have the beautiful Church of St. Paul's outside the walls today. St. Peter and St. Paul, pray for us. Liz Lev, I love listening to you talk about anything, really, but I especially love listening to you talk about Peter and Paul. Have a blessed solemnity. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Andy. You bet. All right. It is a quarter till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Hope your solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul is off to a good start today. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, is going to be talking about an issue that I think is going to help a lot of people, um, that a lot of folks think they're suffering from depression but aren't actually clinically suffering from depression. So what's the deal? What's the issue? Kevin has some thoughts. So I hope you can stick around and listen to them. It's 14 till. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Hi, this is Janet Williams. There's nothing like Women of Grace to explain the truth of our faith today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Grab that cup of coffee and let's go back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis celebrated Mass today for the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul and blessed the pallia that will be distributed to metropolitan archbishops appointed in the past year. The Pope's special peace envoy in the war in Ukraine is set to meet with the Orthodox Patriarch of Russia today. And smoke from Canadian wildfires is blanketing the Midwest once again. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And we get to talk now to Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast, a licensed counselor with decades of experience in private practice but also in the classroom helping to form seminarians and lay pastoral ministers. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. So in this WebMD world where a lot of people put in their symptoms and self-diagnose, there are a lot of people who probably think that they are clinically depressed having never consulted a clinician. (laughs) So uh, I wonder if there's maybe some other language we can use to help understand uh, feelings of... uh, Oh, I don't know, you know, being mm-hmm. down in the dumps um, that may not rise to the level of clinical depression. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So the, the phrase I'd use here would be both end. So uh, there, I think there used to be a lot of stigma about mental health, and I think the pendulum has swung to the other side where everything is a psychological problem. And then I've talked to, certainly there's people in our Catholic community and some other congregations who will say, well, you just have to pray. You know, the problem is not in your head or your brain. It's just that you're not, you don't have enough faith in the Lord, right? So I think those are extremes and there's some places in the middle. So one thing that brought this to mind, Matt, and, and I wanna make sure that nobody misunderstands me. I'm saying we need, we need both. We need, you know, good medical care, psychological care, but we also need faith and how can we integrate them? It's not either or. So what brought this to mind, there was a CDC study that just came out this past month. And what the question they asked is, it was a self-report. So they did this survey, uh, have you ever been diagnosed with depression? So they got a return rate. So, you know, 18, more than 18% of U.S. adults said yes to that question. Uh, Now, that struck me because, you know, just being in the field for a while, like our main diagnostic manual that has tons of research about how often major mental orders occur. Uh, So major depression in our way of looking at it is only about 7%. So how do we explain that? That's less than half, right? Yeah, right. And then, you know, there's this other kind of low-grade persistent depression, but that only occurs about 1% or 2% of people. And, and a lot of folks have both of those. They have a low-grade depression and then have a more acute depression. 
So I think what's going on there is that we have, uh, I think in the United States, Western civilization, we've abandoned the language of faith. And so we've adopted the language of psychology. Some of that is good. Uh, in the past, we didn't give enough credence to psychology, psychiatry, but now we're kind of on the other side. So, you know, I wonder if we would have asked in that survey, are you stressed? Are you unhappy? Are you frustrated? Are you disappointed, lonely, irritable, uh, feeling a little disillusioned with the world right now? Well, that's not depression. That that could be, you know, some of those are, are similar to depression, but some of it's just about being a human being in the world and we're dealing with adversity and as one of our psychiatrists, uh, famous opening line to his book was, life is difficult. So there's some things that we just can't afford, uh, evade. We can't get around feeling bad. So what, what else could be going on? So again, the both end. So if we're going through something that's persistent. So the thing about depression clinically is that it causes ongoing distress and impairment. It gets in the way of my daily life. So if I'm having trouble sleeping, I can't concentrate. I've lost all interest in any kind of pleasurable activities. I'm not eating or I'm eating too much. Well, th those would be signs something's going on there and we need to evaluate and discern. So that's the key thing here is let's have a good assessment. So is it just like St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless or is there something biological going on? Uh, Pascal said, our, our hearts have a God-shaped hole, right? That's our problem is, is we can't, nothing can fill that hole except God. So is it a problem of faith? Is it a problem where maybe I've got a family history of depression? Uh, there's been some major events in my life. I'm not coping with things very well. So maybe I need to talk to my doctor, but I also maybe need to talk to my spiritual advisor, my confessor, to try to figure out what's going on here. Maybe it's both of them. In yeah, the early well, Kevin, desert, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, as I'm, I'm looking through some of the things that you sent over about this and hmm. and how we sort of immerse ourselves in the 24-hour news cycle and social media and fear mm -hmm. of missing out, right? Uh, FOMO, mm -hmm. I mean, I think we all got clinically diagnosable FOMO of some sort of yeah. another. I know that's not a technical psychological thing, right? <laughs> uh, but the phrase, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, you know, you hear that sometimes mm -hmm. tossed around. I wonder, you know, mm -hmm. if sometimes if we're always angry, it's because we're paying too much attention, <laughs> you know, to things we can't control or comparing mm -hmm. ourselves to others or you know, yep. resenting the, the life that we are not living that we wish we were living. Like maybe we're just, you know, constantly living in that other world instead of living in our own world. Yeah, that's exactly it, Matt. And and I think that one of the insights that some of the uh, church fathers have had, especially the desert fathers, uh, and there's a recent book that kind of captured this, is uh, a lot of us today have this restless boredom, frantic escapism, commitment phobia, phobia and enervating despair. Does that ring true with any of our listeners. But that's not, not depression. So the Desert Fathers talked about acedia as one of the eight uh, deadly sins. And we translate that sometimes as sloth. But another way of looking at it comes from Greek words that mean a lack of care. I just don't care about anything. Well, they, just, they decided that's, that's a spiritual disease. And that maybe the other key point here, Matt, is that if I'm feeling out of sorts, I'm feeling down in the dumps a lot, I'm miserable, what is this telling me? Maybe it's a symptom. It's trying to get my attention. Maybe God's trying to get my attention to say, your priorities are all out of whack upside down. 
uh, you have too much resentment. You're paying too much attention to all the news cycle and social media. You've lost sight of what God is calling you to do. Maybe your marriage needs attention. There's some things you're avoiding. Well, those are great questions. See, and, and a medication is not going to stop that. It's not going to fix that. Now, we may need Prozac or, or Zoloft or something else if we really truly have, if we've been diagnosed by a mental health professional, a physician, and that's important. But then there might still be this other area, like what's, what's it saying? What's missing in my life? So it's that idea of ongoing conversion and metanoia. And it might be in that way, these feelings that I'm miserable, misery might actually be a gift from God. Ignatius would talk about that. Sometimes we have desolation, and that might mean that uh, we're sinning and we need to turn away from our sin. It could be a way that God is testing us and making us stronger by putting up with bad feelings and uncomfortable feelings. It might be a sign that I need to, I need to do something. I need to develop virtue in my life. Uh, so those are ancient ways to, to look at this that might be helpful. So when we immediately go to, well, I'm depressed or I see the CDC study, so I need to run to my physician and get on some medication, I could maybe instead ask, maybe I need to talk to some people from the spiritual realm and from the psychological health realm and try to figure out what's really going on here. What's got to try to tell me through my feelings? Yeah, uh, figure out how to treat the whole person, as it were, mm -hmm. which is uh, yeah. a big part of what you talk about in these segments. Kevin Prendergast, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too, man. God bless. By the way, you can find Kevin linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. we got another full hour coming up after the break for many of you listening on EWTN. Stay with us. It's 3 till. Theo.com. It is Thursday, the 29th of June, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, a solemnity. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Your word, O Lord, is spirit and life. For the Pope and bishops to whom you have continued to entrust the apostolic task so faithfully carried out by Saints Peter and Paul, strengthen them to preach your gospel by word and deed. For the whole church to whom you have given the word of life through the ministry of the apostles, Confirm your people in fidelity and zeal. For the world, which, which awaits the good news, illumine those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Father in heaven, who still leads the church through Saints Peter and Paul, bless each of us, and especially our leaders, that like those holy men we celebrate today, we might all value your perfect will above our own. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, and the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Saints Peter and Paul, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ogman at the controls. It's his onomastico, since it's the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. Jeff Cavins is going to be along, along with a couple of other great writers and thinkers and scholars. He has put together for Ascension Press a Catholic guide to the Old Testament. He's going to start a series with us on it, uh, going through the entire Old Testament together and getting a little bit of a Catholic perspective on it. 
Rita Heikenfeld will be along for Bible Foods. Gary Machuda, who's been going through his book, Revolt Against Reality. And then we'll talk about the final days of Saints Peter and Paul in Rome with Dr. Jim Papandrea, who's written a number of books about the early church and goes to Rome quite frequently leading pilgrimages. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The U.S. bishops have rebuked the 31 members of Congress who cited their Catholic faith as why they support abortion. The bishops said in a statement that the letter signed on the anniversary of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health grievously distorted the faith, saying it is wrong and incoherent to claim that the taking of innocent human life at its most vulnerable stage can ever be consistent with the values of supporting the dignity and well-being of those in need. The bishops say, quote, conscience rightly enjoys a special regard both in church teaching and in the public sphere, and policymakers should support the freedom of Catholics and of others to serve the common good in accord with their beliefs in a wide range of areas. Nevertheless, they say, quote, conscience is not a license to commit evil and take innocent lives. Conscience cannot and does not justify the act or support of abortion, end quote. Pope Francis celebrated Mass today for the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. In his homily, the Holy Father said their teachings answer the question, who is Jesus for me? He said the church is called to grow in the same way they did by following the Lord constantly and humbly seeking him out and by preaching the gospel before the world and opening people's hearts to the presence of God. The Holy Father invited the faithful to bring Jesus everywhere, especially in those places where poverty, decay and marginalization are deeply rooted. And as is customary, the Holy Father also blessed the pallia, the vestments that will be given out to metropolitan archbishops who've been appointed in the past year. It's a symbol of the office and unity of a metropolitan archbishop with the Pope. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience yesterday, focusing on the example of St. Mary MacKillop. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Pope Francis said Mary MacKillop read the signs of her times and felt drawn to found several schools to spread the gospel through Catholic education. One essential characteristic of her zeal for the gospel, he said, was her desire to care for the poor and marginalized. This, he added, pushed her to go where others refused or were unable to go. The Pope highlighted her belief that education should promote the integral development of the person both as an individual and as a member of the community, which requires wisdom, patience, and charity on the part of every teacher. Education consists not in filling heads with ideas, he said, but is about accompanying and encouraging students along their path of human and spiritual growth. Pope Francis praised this insight as relevant to our own times, as shown in his own calls for a global compact on education to unite families, schools, and societies. The apostolic zeal of Mary MacKillop also led her to open various houses of charity, starting with one in Adelaide to welcome both young and elderly people who had been abandoned. St. Mary nurtured a special trust in God's providence amid the myriad financial and organizational problems she had to confront each day. 
In conclusion, Pope Francis noted that St. Mary MacKillop learned to love the cross of Christ. May her efforts to form young people inspire us today, he prayed, and may her intercession sustain the daily work of parents, teachers, catechists, and all educators. I'm Devin Watkins. The Pope's special peace envoy in the war in Ukraine is set to meet with the Orthodox Patriarch of Russia today. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi is wrapping up his mission in the country. And Vatican News reports he met yesterday with the Catholic bishops of Russia as well as with several advisors to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The Archbishop of the Archdiocese of the Mother of God in Moscow told Vatican News it may be possible to see some concrete gestures like an exchange of prisoners or the announcement of initiatives to support refugees and fugitives. He also said, quote, there is a need for the involvement of religious leaders in this dialogue. He said, according to my information, Cardinal Zupi is expected to meet with the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill. If so, it will be a truly important occasion, end quote. More than 110 million Americans are living under heat advisories today and millions more facing poor air quality. 100 degree highs are forecast today from the southwest into the deep south. The National Weather Service says life-threatening heat will broil a big stretch of the nation from southeast New Mexico through the southern plains, the lower Mississippi, Ohio and Tennessee valleys and the central Gulf Coast. Meanwhile, smoke from wildfires in Canada continues to spread south. The Chinese spy balloon that passed over the U.S. earlier this year apparently used U.S. technology to spy on Americans. Mark Mayfield reports. The balloon was equipped with American-made equipment that collected photos, videos, and other information, but didn't appear to transmit them. It contained a combination of off-the-shelf American equipment, some of which was available for purchase online, along with specialized Chinese sensors. The recent findings by the Wall Street Journal contradict Beijing's claim that it was used for weather monitoring and not spying. In February, the U.S. shot down the balloon, which had flown over sensitive military sites, sparking a diplomatic crisis. I'm Mark Mayfield. And Domingo Herman threw the 24th perfect game in Major League history yesterday as the New York Yankees blanked the Oakland A's 11 to nothing. Herman needed just 99 pitches to record the first perfect game since Felix Hernandez back in 2012. It's also the fourth perfect game in Yankees franchise history. He struck out nine and earned his fifth win of the season. So there's only been four perfect games in Yankees, Yankees history. history. Yeah. Wow. There's I don't even know who they are. A couple dozen total. How many no hitters compared to perfect games? Oh gosh, no hitters are like you know. We get one of those, a couple of those a year. I'm going to type this. How many no-hitters? There's 319 no-hitters. Exactly. 24 have been perfect games. Wow. That's pretty wild. Pretty wild. So congratulations. Congratulations. Even though, I mean, we're not Yankees fans around here. But we'll say congratulations either way. Either way. Exactly. One of the most impressive feats in all of sports. Really. I'm trying to look up the all the Yankees ones. David Wells, David Cohn, 98-99. David Cohn, Paul Lockman, that was one of the and answers Paul, I was trying to give you earlier. Paul Lockman tells me Don Larson is the other one. Yeah, 1956, Dodgers, against the Dodgers in the World Series. Well, now you know. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. 
Well, today is Thursday, June the 29th, the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. More on them with Dr. Jim Papandrea at the end of this hour. Right now, it's 10 past. Excited to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Jeff Cavins. He's the creator of the Great Adventure Bible series and one of the authors of the new book from Ascension Press, A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. The other authors, Jeffrey Morrow, Biff Roca, and Andrew Swafford. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. That's quite an impressive group of authors there. Well, they're a good group of guys, you know, that uh, have worked hard in putting together this uh, new Catholic guide to the Old Testament, and I think it's going to be quite a, a useful tool out there. Uh, yeah, definitely so. So, Jeff, I love Jesus. I want to know him better. So why should I worry about studying the Old Testament? Why not just focus on the New Testament where he shows up? Well, that's a good question, and that's actually the way a lot of people think, you know. <laughs> we kind of gravitate to what uh, we understand a little bit better, which is usually the the New Testament. I think the reason uh, for the uh, the need for the Old Testament is that it was the Bible of the of the New Testament Christians. It was the scriptures that Jesus taught from. He was fulfilling everything in the Old Testament, and it was the the uh, the scriptures for the the New Testament Church. You might remember on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus walked with two individuals, uh, they said their hearts were burning within them because he was explaining from the Old Testament uh, the fact that the Messiah had to suffer and die, and their hearts were burning. And it was the Old Testament that he was talking about and how he how he fulfilled it. And so this is our foundation for the New Testament. It is our heritage. It's what we have been grafted into. And, and most of all, I would say that, you know, when Jesus went down to get baptized in the Jordan in Matthew chapter 3, John said, hey, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, we must fulfill all righteousness, which means that uh, Jesus must complete the story of the Old Testament. So if you want to know how he completed the story, you have to know the story. And once you know the story, I can tell you this. The New Testament will absolutely sing and make sense to you. Mm -hmm. And we then can find that our own hearts begin to burn within us, right? Amen. Yep, that's right. Yep, that's right. Well, in fact, when I teach the Great Adventure, uh, you know, Bible timeline uh, series, when I connect Jesus or the disciples with the Old Testament events. That's when they, they give you that aha moment of, wow, yeah. oh, wow, I didn't see that, you know? And and that's what makes the Bible study not only so informative, but uh, an awful lot of fun uh, to do. Absolutely. So how does this book work, A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament? I mean, how do you introduce Catholics to the Old Testament? Sure. Well, I think that, uh, you know, what we we ended up doing is we went through the color coding system of the Great Adventure, and uh, we do a, a little you know, kind of a synopsis on every single book in the Old Testament. But we also describe each of the periods, uh, the 12 periods that, or the 10 periods in the Old Testament, we describe them uh, the, the, what are the main characters? What are the major events? 
and and then we look at the books that uh, are are part of it you know for example uh we look at the historical books and then we've got joshua judges ruth first samuel second samuel a lot of people when they read the old testament books they're they're not sure of where it belongs in the narrative and of course the the great adventure color coding system helps you to do that mm -hmm. and this book will further give you information on not only the theme of the book but how it fits into the major story and then we have uh some really really good maps and uh, charts that are going to help you understand the story uh, a little bit better you know what it is it's really an expansion of the great adventure bible and uh, if we put all this in the bible it would be a huge <laughs> study bible but doing it this way you can just have them side by side yeah i do love the great adventure bible it's the one that i use and uh yeah man it would be really hard to carry around if you added all that's <laughs> in this uh, catholic guide to the old testament as well, you mentioned the maps, which is one of the things that I really appreciated when I started looking through this book. Can you talk about the importance of geography or the theme of the land that is so prominent in scripture? Right. Yeah, you're right. The geography is really the fifth gospel. And the geography is not hard to get uh, your mind wrapped around because it's only 50 miles wide and 150 miles <laughs> long. And about 95% of the story takes place on that stage. So if you get to know the stage, then you start to see repetitive types of things. For example, uh, Jesus and John the Baptist go down to the Jordan River, just north of the Dead Sea. And John goes down there dressed like Elijah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, where was the last place we saw Elijah in the Old Testament? Well, it was Second Kings chapter 2 when he went up in the, the chariot and the fire. That's exactly where he went up, and that's where John shows up as the new Elijah. Not reincarnation, but he's coming in the spirit of Elijah, which is what Malachi said, the last book of the Old Testament, that he would come before the Messiah. It's incredible. Incredible. Well, we've only got like a minute left here, Jeff, so I won't make you take us through the general timeline of the Old Testament to get this big picture understanding, but want to encourage folks to pick up a copy of this book, A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament, because we are actually going to be starting a series with you and your co-authors, and I am so pumped about this, that we are going to have 46 sessions, one on each of the 46 books of the Old Testament. So um, I want to encourage listeners to go pick up a copy of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament so you can study along with us, ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And I actually just learned about this new Ascension app as well. You can get the Great Adventure Catholic Bible um, on an app through ascensionpress.com. So go get that as well to have the Bible in your pocket, literally at your fingertips whenever you need it. So, Jeff Cabins, we'll look forward to talking about Genesis with you the next time. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. You bet. Good to be with you. It was good to have you. All right, 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. 
experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. And services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops have rebuked the 31 members of Congress who recently in a letter cited their Catholic faith as why they support abortion. Pope Francis celebrated Mass today for the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, the twin founders of Christian Rome. And the Holy Father's special peace envoy of the war in Ukraine is set to meet with the Orthodox Patriarch of Russia today. All right, news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Since it is the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, I want to throw out some patronages and happy feast day wishes to the Diocese of Birmingham, Alabama, under the patronage of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, also under the patronage of St. Paul, Covington, Kentucky, St. Yes. Paul, Minnesota, obviously. Worcester, Massachusetts, Yakima, Washington. Under the patronage of St. Peter, you've got Jackson, Tennessee. Oh, so I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, you were so, saving it. I'm sorry, I scooped you. That's Go okay. ahead. Jackson, Mississippi, St. Peter. Marquette, Michigan, St. Peter. Scranton, Pennsylvania, St. Peter. Under the patronage of Peter and Paul together, you've got Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh. Las Vegas, Nevada. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Some of you have been to that cathedral. Providence, Rhode Island. Also under the dual patronage of Saints Peter and Paul. Did you like have to do a list of who was listed under St. Paul and who was listed under St. Peter and then compare yeah, and, to make uh, sure that... Yeah, them. Yeah. That's a Good tricky job. experiment. Nicely done. It worked. And for iced tea, if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. If there is one psalm that bears a great fascination for Christians, it is Psalm 22. Like many others, it is a call for the Lord's help, but Psalm 22 contains elements that seem particularly Christian. The opening verse of the psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. Later verses give details of the sufferings that Jesus endured. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. My heart is like wax, melting away within my bosom. Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. They look on me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Dale Paterka. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And we've been going through lots and lots of great summer recipes uh, to help you maybe use some foods from the Bible, maybe some foods that you grew yourself, and incorporate them into recipes, and maybe tell a little story about them along the way with your family. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning. So today we get to talk about a picnic orzo salad, and we're going to go through a bunch of the ingredients which show up in the Bible. And some of these, like I say, may be things that people have in their own gardens. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And um, as we go through the recipe, too, I want you to tell me, because you always tweak my recipes, tell me what you might add or take away or sub in. How's that? Sounds good to me. All right. So <laughs> okay. this picnic orzo salad is going to mm-hmm. be, among other things, a really colorful dish if you've got to bring something to a picnic, right? Oh, it's just beautiful. And, you know, it starts off with um, a, a pound bag of whole wheat or regular orzo. And orzo is a pasta, but it's shaped like rice. And you just cook that according to the package directions. And, and you know, wheat, when we think of wheat in the Bible, um, John in Chapter 12, uh, when he said, um, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And, you know, that's just like when you plant um, wheat it, or basically anything, just like you said, in the garden, it, it doesn't look like there's life, and yet that little seed contains a whole big plant. Of course, Jesus is talking about his own resurrection as well mm-hmm. and our baptism. So you got a pound of whole wheat, then you got a cup of diced onions, and let's never forget onions are in the Bible. Oh, my gosh. In, <laughs> in the book of Numbers, along with leeks and melons, etc., um, you know, onions are one of the oldest of the root vegetables, Matt, and we know that those are good for heart health. And a lot of times I'll put red onions in. This time I didn't have any, so I just used yellow onions. All right. Well, there you go. So uh, here's one that is absolutely not in the Bible, and that is <laughs> corn, right? Absolutely not. Yeah, it's a 10-ounce bag of frozen corn or a a few, um, you know, uh, just some fresh corn if you have it off the cob, um, about one and a half cups. And there's also something that's not in the Bible, one large colored bell pepper diced. 
And um, so those two aren't in the Bible, but those are key ingredients. Well, and again, these are things that you find in the New World. But green onions, uh, you know, you can put in there as well. We just talked about onions briefly before. Now, uh, so after you've put in your wheat, your uh, diced onions, your corn, your bell pepper, your green onions in this picnic orzo salad, you've got the thing that I would leave out, which is uh, a cup of some sort of a dried fruit, either currants or golden raisins or apricots. But those are all in the Bible, right? Yeah, um, when you think of raisins and currants, yeah, currants are actually, they come from a type of a... a Great. But it's interesting that you said that because I had a feeling you are more of a savory, not a savory and a little bit of sweet guy anyway. Well, there you go. So, uh, and then there's, you know, apricots, by the way, are in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I eat them plain. Uh, In the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, As an apricot tree stands out in the forest, my lover stands above the young men in town. So there you go. It's in the Bible. Um, but let's talk about the almonds because this is something I would put in the salad. Oh, you would. Well, I usually toast them. Um, and those are one of only two nuts mentioned in the Bible and the other is pistachios. So, um, whenever I buy almonds, I usually toast them anyway, cause they, uh, last longer in the pantry if you do that. So about a cup or so. And if you don't like nuts, Hey, don't put them in. Some people even put in pine nuts. So lots of variations there. All right, now you put basil in here, and this is the this is where it really starts to smell good. Oh yeah, and you know I've I've talked about this before, not mentioned in the Bible specifically, Matt, but there's a lovely legend. It says that a patch of basil sprung up right near the site of Jesus's tomb after his resurrection, and you just talked about his resurrection early on in the segment. Well, and uh, if you can't find basil in the Bible, you can find him in the early church because Saint Basil the Great. Um, oh my gosh, in the fourth yeah. century, so I mean, you can you can cheat a little bit on that one, Rita. So that's a good, yeah, a good, yeah, good. Comment. All right, so salt and pepper, and uh, you got these in almost every recipe. Even your desserts have salt in them, and Jesus talks about salt and how we're supposed to be salt. So this works. Oh yeah, and um, gosh, salt. When you think of salt in the Bible, mentioned many, many times, and I love this passage that he said to his apostles. You are the salt of the earth. And, you know, salt was a symbol of hospitality, so it works well in this recipe. All right, so uh, for this picnic orzo pasta salad, um, you've got your wheat, you've got your onions, your peppers, apricots and raisins are optional, some almonds for some nice crunch, some basil for a little bit of green in there. You've also mentioned you can throw in some arugula or spinach, a little shredded uh, Romano or Parmesan cheese. I want to get into this vinaigrette because this oh. sounds awesome. It's got vinegar and lemon juice, but it's also got a secret ingredient in almost all of my vinaigrettes, which is mustard. Oh, yeah. And, you know, mustard, when you put mustard in, um, it, it helps emulsify. Yeah, it's um, some white balsamic vinegar, lemon juice, garlic, and Dijon mustard, and that's it. Um, just a wonderful tangy dressing. And, by the way, I also threw in some chickpeas in the salad, too, this time um, for a little protein. And, of course, you know, beans, a member of the bean family mentioned in the Bible, um, and I also put in some honey in that vinaigrette, too, because we have honey in our hives, and then um, a little more basil, and then I just finished it off with some canola and some olive oil. So you just put the vinegar, lemon juice, garlic, mustard, honey, um, basil, and olive oil, and canola in a jar. Shake it up. You're ready to go. And it is a very pretty it's people you're gonna bring it into a picnic and people are gonna be like whoa mm-hmm. that's a pretty that's a pretty pasta salad 
Uh, we've got, by the way, in case you didn't track all of that, uh, we've got not only the recipe that Rita mentioned for this picnic orzo salad, but also the Bible verses that are connected with each of these Bible foods that are in the recipe are on our show notes as well. So head on to sunrisemorningshow.com and click on today's show notes and you can find them. As well as a link to Rita and abouteating.com. Rita, thanks as always. Have a great day. I will, Matt, and I'll, I will talk to you all next week. And again, if you got good summer recipes that you want to share with Rita, head on over to her site and send her a note as well. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The U.S. bishops have rebuked the 31 members of Congress who recently cited their Catholic faith as why they support abortion. It came in a letter they penned for the anniversary, the first anniversary of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, in which Roe v. Wade was overturned. The bishop said in a statement that that letter grievously distorted the faith, saying it's wrong and incoherent to claim that the taking of innocent human life at its most vulnerable stage can ever be consistent with the values of supporting the dignity and well-being of those in need. The bishops say, quote, conscience rightly enjoys a special regard both in church teaching and in the public sphere, and policymakers should support the freedom of Catholics and of others to serve the common good in accord with their beliefs in a wide range of areas. Nevertheless, they say, conscience is not a license to commit evil and take innocent lives. Conscience cannot and does not justify the act or support of abortion. Pope Francis celebrated Mass today for the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, as is customary. He also blessed the pallia of vestments that will be given to metropolitan archbishops who have been appointed in the past year. It's a symbol of his office in unity with the Pope. In his homily, Pope Francis said Peter and Paul invite the church to grow and to follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel. The Pope's special peace envoy in the war in Ukraine is set to meet with the Orthodox Patriarch of Russia today. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi is wrapping up his mission in Russia. Vatican News reports he met yesterday with the Catholic bishops of the country as well as with some advisors to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of the Mother of God in Moscow told Vatican News that it may be possible to see some concrete gestures such as a new exchange of prisoners, or the announcement of initiatives to support refugees and fugitives. He also said it's possible that Cardinal Zuppi will meet with Patriarch Kirill. Debris has been found of the imploded Titan submersible. Brian Shook reports. Announcement Wednesday after a ship carrying pieces of wreckage recovered from the bottom of the ocean returned to port. A crane offloaded the debris that looked to include the nose of the Titan. Investigators from the U.S. and Canada will use the pieces to try to determine what caused the submersible to implode. The evidence will be transported to a U.S. port for further analysis. All five people on board the Titan are believed to have been killed by the implosion. I'm Brian Shook. Several Vatican dicasteries have joined together to issue a joint letter on Catholic education. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini has the story. It is essential that clergy, religious men and women and lay people all sing as a choir, reads the joint letter, which was released by the two Vatican dicasteries after the meeting they convened in May to discuss the many serious difficulties currently faced by the Catholic schools worldwide. 
Among them, the long-term effects of the pandemic, the ongoing global economic crisis, decreasing birth rates, the drop in vocations, and growing secularization, affecting specifically the Western world. All these grave circumstances have given rise to complex practical consequences, leading in some cases to the closure or sale of Catholic schools. In the face of these difficulties, the temptation might be to lose hope. However, the letter stresses what first seems to block our courage could turn out to be a kind of starting block for making a new leap forward. For example, it might spur Catholic schools to make greater efforts to sing in unison, as Pope Francis recently asked the pontifical academic institutions in Rome. The letter renews this call, encouraging initiatives and even experiments that are imaginative and creative, open to sharing with one another. As officers charged with assisting the Holy Father, the letter concludes, we shall make use of both old and new ways to address realities in a timely way and to help the body of the Church develop forward-looking solutions, even in the most difficult circumstances. I am Lisa Zengarini. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past. The This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why do we receive the gift of fortitude? We receive the gift of fortitude to strengthen us to do the will of God in all things. Fortitude is that virtue by which we combat those things difficult presented to us in order to reach the good. In this life, perhaps we need fortitude in order to do our work every day. The gift of the Holy Spirit, as this gift of fortitude, enables me to give myself to God no matter what the cost. This enables the martyr to resist the temptation to give in despite much pain and much suffering. And so this is what the will of God calls us to do to follow the dictates of conscience, the rules of the Holy Church, the commandments of God, but above all, the Holy Spirit speaking in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with that gift of fortitude so that no matter what the cost, I may do God's will joyfully and, of course, with love. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda. He is the author of, among other things, Revolt Against Reality. We're kind of winding down uh, this series that we've been doing with him on this book about the history of all kind of like the weird and twisted ideas uh, in human 
philosophical history and how they bring us to the present day. Gary, we've been talking about a lot of bad news, but oh, man, he hung up. He didn't really want to have this conversation. But <laughs> I think Paul's. <laughs> Gary, what do you think about that? Sorry, Matt. We're to get Gary back. So some people don't know whether or not what we do is live radio, and I just want to assure you that it is. It is. It is indeed. Some people are like, do you, do you guys script everything that you say on a given morning? I guarantee you we do not. Especially Matt. Especially not me. And he even scripts some of her news, but even with that, you can't tell when the soundbite's going to go bad. We got Gary? Gary, how are you? Good, Matt. <clears throat> So we've been sharing a lot of bad news uh, about human history and the way that original sin has influenced messed up thinking throughout the millennia. But today we get to talk a little bit about some of the ways that uh, the church has is responded uh, creatively and some bright spots. Uh, because I think sometimes it can be easy to look at the, the landscape of the world and think, oh, it's all bad. It's all going in a terrible direction. The culture is just corrupt and irredeemable. But there are some good spots, aren't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I ended the book last chapter, and I thought, you know, this is too dark. I need to find some sort of bright uh, spot. And, you know, the thing about reality, Matt, is you can explain it away. You could try to, you know, sweep it under the rug. But ultimately, reality is the only real thing in town. And so no matter how much you try to overcome it, uh, it's going to present itself. And even back a few years ago when I wrote this book, I was already seeing some, uh, you know, glimmers of hope where, you know, people were being confronted with how things truly are. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful thing to to think about uh, how so much of what goes on in the church and so many of the bright spots are things that we might not even realize in our own time and the people around them might not <laughs> realize them at the time. Uh, but one of them, I mean, you, you really addressed four points, uh, conversions, uh, education, uh, as well as philosophy and a renewal of biblical scholarship. But let's talk about conversions because, you know, that's the world that I work in. And I got to tell you, there's all kinds. I mean, every single day I'm meeting new people who are looking for a home in the church. And we've got dozens and dozens of actually ministers from other religious backgrounds who were in touch with at the Coming Home Network. And that'd be a bigger story if we were allowed to talk about it. <laughs> but we can't, right, because they're in process. And there's all kinds of this stuff going on behind the scenes. I think we just don't realize it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's a remarkable sign for the Church. Uh, you know, in a way, a lot of Catholics leave, but those are usually uncatechized or ill-catechized Catholics. Um, you know, they fall away or they, they join another communion. But, you know, there's, like, two-way traffic now, and the converts that are coming into the Church, our pastors are extremely well-educated, uh, and, you know, it's through their own—a lot of them are just intellectual conversions, where it's not like they're marrying a Catholic spouse or something, but they did the hard work of, you know, doing the scholarship and seeing the truth of the Catholic faith. And I think— you know, that's, that's a, like you said, I think it's a much bigger stream than we realize. Well, it certainly is. And again, uh, it's amazing how, you know, I'll reach out to people and, and say, hey, do you want to tell your story? And they're like, not really publicly, because, you know, I'm still, it's still kind of a sore spot in my family. But for every person whose story we tell publicly, there are dozens <laughs> behind the scenes who are not yet ready to tell or, or 
you know, you've got that. But one of the bright spots that I see, and this is partly because of my immersion in this world, you know, because of what my wife does for a living, is Catholic education. You know, when I first came into the church, people were complaining about Catholic schools and, you know, their fidelity to the gospel and all this other stuff. There are Catholic schools. I feel like every time I turn around, there's a new Catholic school popping up somewhere sometimes involved with the diocese, sometimes not. Classical schools run by Catholics. This is something that's really exploded in the past few years. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this ties back to where we talked about that coup that occurred in the 1960s, where big institutional, uh, you know, universities, Catholic colleges, basically adopted a secular worldview and just was a secular university with mass every day. And, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Catholic parents went broke sending their kids to way to these universities, only to end up where they they lose their faith and they're you know, and their parents are impoverished. But uh, that that gave a new springtime for smaller institutions uh, who are faithful to the church. Uh, Catholic parents became aware of these these other institutions, and over the past decades, they've grown and they blossom. And like you said. Uh, not only uh, are the, the smaller Catholic colleges more faithful, they're more affordable, but there's other areas, too, like uh, for homeschoolers, you know, online education that's, that's uh, consistent with Catholic faith. Uh, there's just all these, uh, you know, new grassroots movements, not only in the university level, but middle school, high school. Uh, it truly is remarkable. Well, what's interesting to me, too, and I know this also um, through my work with converts, is that there is a, a rise in and really a Christian approach to philosophy, even though uh, there it seems like, you know, other anthropological ideas and other postmodern and post postmodern and then post post postmodern, you know, thought just keeps <laughs> deconstructing and deconstructing and deconstructing. I do find that there there's almost this sort of quiet uh you know, rise of, of people who are really taking seriously uh, philosophical ideas in, from a Christian perspective, and they're not loud, but I feel like I, f- I, I, I know a lot more of them now than I used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I, way back when I was going to a community college taking philosophy courses, you know, all the instructors were atheists. In fact, one was a communist. And uh, today it's very different. The faculties, uh, theism is has kind of gone through a, a kind of rebirth and vigor. And today, uh, you know, uh, metaphysics, uh, philosophy has uh, some really fine uh, philosophers, and also Thomas as well. You know, Thomism has uh, made a comeback. And, and as we talked in our series, you know, the opposite of this nominalism that's tearing us apart is really Thomism. You know, and so that's a super bright sign. Well, the other thing that uh, you know we want to talk about here is is biblical scholarship, and I think part of this also has to do with uh, recent discoveries in archaeology. And I feel like there's just—I mean, one of my favorite things to do at the end of the year is go to like the Biblical Archaeology Review and find their top ten biblical archaeology discoveries of the past year, and it is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that people are uh, coming more and more to the conclusion that. Maybe we can trust some of the accounts in the scriptures, even if they don't come to the full, uh, you know, recognition of Christianity. That that there is something to be said for what the Bible is referring to. Some of these things, well, maybe they actually did happen. 
Yeah. In fact, uh, you just interviewed Jeff Cavins. You know, there's a rebirth in Catholic Bible studies, which uh, had been dormant for decades. Uh, also, you know, Catholic biblical scholarships, through the influence of Scott Hahn, I think, has undergone a change. We're, now that we're rediscovering our Jewish roots of our Catholic faith, and uh, and before, uh, whenever you go to a Bible study, it would be more like, well, how do you feel about this verse? An- another aspect that I think is very encouraging is the early Church Fathers are now becoming a component, as they should be, you know, when I'm trying to understand the text, to get into the historical understanding of the text. And so, again, you know, that's just another area where there really is a kind of renaissance uh, yeah. in biblical studies, both on the parish level and in academia. Well, I certainly find that among my uh, evangelical brothers and sisters uh, in the worlds that I used to travel in, uh, some of that credibility about, you know, even the the early church and how the early church interpreted the Bible, uh, some of those voices are getting a, a little bit more time at the microphone than they ever got when I, when I was rolling around those yeah. circles. So, yeah, it's a fascinating exactly. thing. There are bright spots. There are things to worry about, but there are bright spots. Uh, Gary Machuda, we've got your book, Revolt Against Reality, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Next time we get to close it out and talk maybe about some of the good things happening in other ways and how reality will get the last word. Gary, have a great day. You too, Matt. All right, up next on this Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, Dr. Jim Papandrea, an early church historian, we'll talk about Saints Peter and Paul on this, their feast day. Stay with us. It's 13 Till. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Now there's a fast and easy way to get in touch with EWTN. The EWTN Everything Number. Call 1-800-447-EWTN to get the latest information on programming, special events, pilgrimages, and more. You can even make a donation. Our EWTN Family Viewer Services representatives are ready to help you with whatever your needs may be. The EWTN Everything Number. 1-800-447-EWTN. EWTN. 
Hi, this is Janet Williams. There's nothing like Women of Grace to explain the truth of our faith today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Grab that cup of coffee and let's go back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday, the 29th of June, the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. Pray for us. We're joined now by Dr. Jim Papandrea, who has written a number of books on the early church, including one for the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Maria Press, which is called The Early Church, St. Peter the Apostles and Martyrs. Doc, good morning. Good morning. How are you? It's great to be back on the show. Hey, it's great to have you back, and uh, I think last time I checked on you, you were in Rome, the place where Peter and Paul met their martyrdom. I, I wonder... How did Peter and Paul both end up in Rome? Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I just got back, and of course I visited the tombs of both Peter and Paul. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they both ended up there for different reasons, I think. Um, you know, Peter went there by, by design. Peter meant to go there um, by divine providence, I would say, as well. Um, Peter, Peter goes to Rome by about the year 42 or so A.D., and and he goes there to be the first uh, apostolic authority there. And, of course, we would say he's the first bishop of Rome. And, uh, you know, the popes to this day are the successors of Peter in that role. And so Peter really became uh, the first bishop of Rome. Paul goes there for a different reason. Paul goes there because he's on his way to Spain. He's on his way to the, you know, furthest reaches of, you know, the known world at the time. And whether he got to Spain or not, we don't know, but we do know that he was eventually, um, you know, arrested and, and put to death in Rome. And so they both ended up there. They were both martyred there um, in different ways, but uh, around at around the same time, somewhere between the year 64 and 67 or so. Well, you and I both have some background in the world of evangelicalism, and to me— it was a revelation to discover that the Catholic Church has this whole kind of understanding and claimed knowledge about what ended up happening to Saints Peter and Paul, because from a Bible-only background, we're like, well, we don't really know what happened to Peter and Paul after this. Bible doesn't say. And yet, we have this tradition that has been preserved in the Catholic Church that gives us quite a bit, right? That's right. And, and you know, there's there's sort of levels of tradition, right? And so uh, you know, as you say, the book of Acts at one point says that, that Peter left Jerusalem, um, but it doesn't say where he went, and we know he went to Rome. How do we know that? Well, there's, there's hard evidence. There's archaeological evidence. There's, you know, you can go to Rome, and that's where Peter's tomb is. It's always been there. Um, so, you know, anyone who says Peter wasn't in Rome is just completely ignoring you know, this hard physical evidence of, you know, this, the, you know the, the existence of Peter's tomb. Um, and then, you know, we have, we have other layers of tradition. We have other uh, stories that are, that are pretty reliable, but are not Scripture. And then we have outright legend as well, and so we have to sort these things out. Um, but we do have enough reliable tradition to know, um, you know, a good amount about what happened to Peter and Paul, and and uh, and of course we know where their remains are, where their relics are now, because their tombs have just always been there since the time of their death. Do we know if Paul's head really did bounce three times and three fountains sprung up? 
<laughs> well, so that's one of those legendary bits, right? Um, and, uh, it, you know, Roman r- records will tell us that those three fountains actually existed before the time of Paul's execution. Yeah, but that's um, not as good of a story. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it, but, but I'll tell you what, uh, we were just there. If you go there to this day, the Tre Fontane, the, the three fountains, there's a church built around the three fountains, and each one has a sort of sculpture around it with an, with an image of Paul's head bouncing. <laughs> but, um, but that one's a little, bit more, uh, a little bit more legendary, I think. Well, you know, there's some truth to the to the idea behind the le- legends. Uh, in so many ways, it tells us not necessarily about the facts, the hard facts of Paul's execution, but I mean, Paul really did bounce a whole bunch of different places in the Mediterranean, and everywhere he bounced, a church sprung up, <laughs> right? Yeah, it that's seems true. Like, that's true. You know, this is this is really, you know, that's who Paul was. Ever everywhere he went, suddenly you've got the body of Christ blasting out in Ephesus, you know, and yep. in, in in all these various places that he went. I mean, it tells us something about who Paul was, even if it's not something that uh, was officially formally forensically documented. Well, that's true, and that, that goes for Peter as well, because you know we have this legend about um, you know the, the Quo Vadis story. We have the, the legend about um, you know Peter having this vision of the risen Christ in Rome, and then after the fact, Jesus leaves footprints in a stone on the Appian Way, which, of course, if you go to, if you go there now, you can see the stone. They still have it. Okay, so, you know, did Jesus, did did this vision of the risen Christ really leave footprints in the stone? Well, that's kind of not the point, because the, the, um, the doctrine that that teaches is that Jesus was truly human and really did leave footprints, really did have a body, you know, over against a kind of Gnostic impression of Jesus that he was only a phantom or something like that. So, so it speaks to the, the reality of Jesus' humanity and of the bodily resurrection. And, uh, and so, you know, to your point, this is, this is what we believe by our faith, and sometimes the legends just uh, help us uh, illustrate that. Well, it's like Patrick with the snakes in Ireland. Never were any snakes, but he definitely cast, you know, the pagan you know, ritual of stuff out of Ireland. But in the meantime, I know that you go to Rome from time to time, and you show people the places where St. Paul actually did these things, where uh, St. Peter actually was, where these men actually met their martyrdom, where their relics remain to this day. Uh, if our listeners ever want to go with you and find, you know, the beginnings of the churches we know it today in Rome, uh, how do they do so? Well, you know, I do uh, pilgrimages, um, you know, from time to time. I was doing them every year before COVID, and so maybe I'll continue to do them every year again. If people want to find out more about, about me and the pilgrimages I do, they can, uh, they can check out my website, which is jimpapandrea.com. Um, if you can't spell that, go to drjimsbooks.com. There you'll find my Amazon author page, and, which includes my book on Rome and the churches of Rome and the, the holy sites in the city of Rome. Uh, it's called uh, Rome, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Eternal City. So um, people can, can find me through those ways. Yeah, and I very much recommend the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. It's got uh, Jim Papandrea, it's got Mike Aquilina, it's got a whole bunch of people you recognize from the Sunrise Morning Show as part of that series. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day. Oh, thank you. It's been great to uh, be with you. Happy, happy Solemnity of Peter and Paul. And to you as well. Pray for us. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.